we were in a crowd gathered at a basketball game and a crowd gathered here this morning is your presence. You are the one. You are the one who indwells us by your Holy Spirit. You are the one who seals us and marks us as your own by that same Spirit. You are the one who has promised us that, that when even two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you are present. We know that you're present here this morning. We know that you have something that you want to say to us. Father, we have been speaking to you this morning in our worship. We have been, we have been glorifying you. We want to thank you for your grace. We rejoice in grace. We give thanks for what you have done for us. And now, Father, would you please speak to us. Open our hearts and our minds, clear them and free them of distraction. And may your Holy Spirit take your word, sharpen it, and pierce our hearts with it so that we would leave this place different from when we came. So that we would understand that you have expectations for us. You have a life that you have called us to as your people so that we might be a light in this dark world, so that we could stand apart, not because of our goodness, but because of your grace, and not for our name's sake, but Christ's. So, Father, minister the word to us this morning. Let us hear your clear voice in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. <clears throat> And thank you, band, for those songs this morning, for leading us. I, part of me didn't want to stop that part of the service. I was kind of hoping maybe we were just going to keep going. But, but I have something I want to share with you here this morning, too, so I kind of want to do that also. <clears throat> when God designed the human body, he made the brain the command center. Our brains control all of the functions of our bodies. And contrary to what you may think when you see what's going on in our world, you can't function without a brain. <laughs> Some fun facts for you. The brain only makes up about 2% of your body weight, but it uses 20% of your body's energy and oxygen. The average brain contains 86 billion brain cells and transmit a transmits a thousand impulses per second. And if we were to take a piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand, it would contain a hundred thousand neurons and over a billion synapses. This is what God has created and put between your ears to help you control your body. Every parent of a teenager in this world will agree with the fact that the brain does not reach maturity until 25 years of age. That is a fact. 
And what we've learned over decades and, in fact, centuries of scientific study and research is that learning and thinking and language shapes your brain. When two neurons respond to a stimulus, such as a word, they begin to form a chemical pathway between them. Let me give you an example. When my ears process ice cream, there are two neurons in my brain that form a chemical pathway. The neuron that controls my taste buds and reminds me what heavenly hash or cookies and cream tastes like connect with the neurons that control my desire to get my butt up off my chair and get in my car and go find the ice cream. Now those pathways become strengthened or weakened depending on how often they're co-activated. If you like to go for hikes in the woods, if you're a hunter or a fisherman, and you walk along a path to get to the shoreline or to get to your tree stand, you know that the more often you walk from where you are to your tree stand or to your fishing spot, the more worn in the ground the path gets, right? You've all seen that. If you don't do it for a while, the grass starts to grow up. And the same is true with our brains. The more often we activate those neurons, the more ingrained those pathways become. And those neurons firing together are the basis of all learning that we do, good and bad. Those neurons literally shape our brains. So the question for us is, what shapes our minds? What, what stimuli are we introducing to our brains? What pathways are being formulated? So how that relates to what we're doing here, well, over the past 12 weeks, we've been studying the book of Philippians. And we've seen that God has, through Paul, called us to be citizens of heaven. If you're a Christ follower this morning, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are a citizen of heaven. That's what Philippians 3.20 says. And because you're a citizen of heaven, your hope is not what's happening here, it's what's coming next. In the next life in eternity with the Lord. Because we are citizens of heaven, we are not to live according to the standards of this world. Our, our lives, our priorities ought to be different. We don't view life the same way. We're called to this higher standard, to advance the gospel, to live for Christ, to be willing to suffer, to serve the church, to be lights in this dark world. And when Paul wrote this, Almost 2,000 years ago, he didn't know much about 21st century biology. He didn't know much about the study of how the human brain works, but he did know this. If we're going to be citizens of heaven, if, if we're going to live according to God's standard, we must guard our minds. How did Paul know this? Well, Paul was no doubt familiar with verses in the Old Testament like Proverbs 23.7 where Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, As you think, so are you. Paul knew that. 
we tend to believe that what we do is who we are. We tend to look at our lives and say, well, I go to church on Sunday morning, so that means I'm a Christ follower. What we do is who we are. But God actually says that what we think is who we are. What we think is who we are, not what we do. And Paul knew that our minds needed to be strengthened, that they needed to be transformed, that they need to be redeemed. How do I know that he knew that? Well, he wrote in Romans 12, chapter 2, that we are not to be conformed to this world, we're not to be pressed into the mold of this world, but we are to be transformed. Do you know this verse, any of you? We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul wrote that. To be good, productive, loyal citizens of heaven, we must take care of what goes into our minds. We must guard our minds. That's what this passage of Philippians is about this morning. So if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. It didn't work out this way. I know that Tim and I like to complain back and forth to each other about who gets to teach what passage and all that kind of stuff. And this is just how it breaks down. Sometimes Tim has to speak on 15 verses and he has to try to cram it all in. I get to speak on just two verses today, so... That's just the way the cookie crumbles, Tim. I'm sorry, but uh, that's what we're doing. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Let me read them for you, and then we'll look at them. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we'll look at these two verses. I want you to, first of all, we're going to see what we need to know and then what we need to do. So here in verse 8, what we need to know. Paul says there are certain things that we need to be thinking about. Okay, now let's back up. We need to be thinking. Maybe we should start there. We need to be thinking. Thinking is essential to salvation and spiritual growth. Now, for some reason, most of us like to be able to have those times where we can put our brains into neutral, right? I don't know what your job is, everybody's different, what your life is, what it involves, your responsibilities, but I'm sure that much of the time you feel like you're in fourth or fifth gear. You're just going. You've got this to do and that and the other thing. And you long for the time when you can get home, or if you are home all day, you can get out of your home, whatever it is, and you can just slip out of fourth or fifth and into neutral. You know, that space in the gearbox where the shifter just floats around. And your brain just floats. We, we long for those times because we feel like we have so much going on. But Paul says... Thinking is essential to our spiritual growth. It is essential to our salvation. First of all, we need to know what God's word has to say 
about our need of a Savior. We need to know what God has to say about the only way to be saved, which is Jesus Christ. We need to be thinking. It's essential. And Paul says we need to think about these things. I am so excited today to give you a new Greek word. See, I just, I just am presuming that all of you just excitedly maintain this list of these words that I'm giving you and you go back and you look at the list longingly and you read about it and you remember everything I said. I don't, don't, don't change my mind. I'm just, that's where I'm going to live on this. This is another Greek word for you that I think you need to know. Here it is. It's logizomai. Logizomai. Think about these things, Paul says. That's the word that he uses for think. Logizomai. It means to reason out. It means to come to a logical conclusion or decision. If you see the word, you might be able to see how we could get our English word logic from this word. It's an active word. It means that we look at information, we take in information, we process it, we reason it out, we make a decision based on it. Paul says, think about these things. Now over in Romans chapter 8 verse 5, I want, to just, I want you to notice this verse because I think it really well goes with the word, the, the verse that we're looking at here very well. Romans 8, 5, Paul says it this way. For those who live according to the flesh, notice this phrase, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. How we live our lives is determined by how we think. So what Paul is asking us in Romans 8, or challenging us, challenging us with in Romans 8, and also in Philippians 4, is what is your mind set on? Where does your mind come to rest? In those moments, when you slipped your mind out of gear and into neutral, where does your mind come to rest? Where do you set your mind? Are they on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? Paul says, where you set your mind determines how you live. So on what should we set our minds? And what Paul gives us here in Philippians 4.8 is, is a grid, a filter that we should consider when we are processing on what we set our minds. And he gives us a series of things that we need to think about. First of all, I'm going to phrase them to you in the form of a question. First of all, Paul says, if you're going to think about something, you need to ask yourself, is it true? Is it true? Satan is called, in the scripture, the father of lies. Everything Satan would have us to believe is a lie. He would have us to believe that if we were to focus on ourselves, if we were to think about ourselves first, if we would process our needs first, then, best case scenario, 
we could put ourselves in a position so that we're able to help other people. That's what Satan likes to, us to think about. Now, if you're a completely self-focused person, then he just wants you to think about yourself and forget about everybody else. But even if you're a person who loves God and wants to care for other people, he says, hey, think about yourself. Take care of yourself. Make sure you work on all the stuff. Make sure you take care of all your stuff first, and then you can help other people. That's a lie. We know that because we've been studying Philippians. And what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? He says, I don't want you to be thinking about your stuff. You think about other people's stuff. Don't serve yourself. Serve other people. Just like Christ was not thinking about himself. Do you think Christ enjoyed coming to earth, putting on the human flesh, and walking around in the sin-cursed world, and then being nailed to a cross, and being stabbed in the side, and dying? Do you think Jesus enjoyed that? Do you think it was easy to do? No, of course not. In fact, before he went to the cross, what did Christ say? Father, if possible, if possible, take this away. Nevertheless, not what, what, not what I want, but what you want. And so Paul says here, if we're going to fix our minds on something, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is it true? Well, how do we know what's true? Well, does it line up with the standard of God's word? Does it line up with what God says is true? Is it authentic? In time, when all is revealed... Will this be seen to be true? There is a verse in Proverbs chapter 12 that I like to paraphrase, paraphrase this way. Time and truth walk hand in hand. Time and truth walk hand in hand. Do you ever walk through life with someone and you see something that's happening or you hear them say something and you say to yourself, I don't think that's true. I'm not sure that that's true. And then after some investigation, you find out that perhaps, in fact, it is not true. And yet this person continues to espouse the fact that it's true. And maybe even a few people agree with them that it is true. But you know that it's not true. Paul says those are the things you need to think about. Those are the things you need to set your mind on, to fix your mind on. Even if no one else thinks it's true, if you know that it is because of the truth of God's word and what he tells you, those are the things that you fix your mind on because one day they will be shown to be true. Time and truth walk hand in hand. Is it true? Paul also says, is it honorable? Is it honorable? This is an interesting filter to run things through in our world because really the word honorable means is it dignified or is it trivial? Is it dignified or is it trivial? Is it meaningful? Is it useful? I'm not going to be judgmental here this morning on what people like to... Well, I, actually I am going to be. <clears throat> I take the back. I'm going to be judgmental. I'll be more judgmental about some of this stuff in a minute. But sometimes I look around... I'm, I'm human. I like to, you know, I like to see a good movie once in a while. And sometimes I see the previews for some of the movies that are coming out. And I'm, I'm stunned. 
I'm astounded that somebody spent $30 million or whatever making a movie about something so stupid, so trivial, so ridiculous. And then a month later, I look at the box office receipts and I think, wow, that was a good investment on them because they spent $30 million and there are people in this country that spent $100 million to go and watch it. There's a lot of things in our world right now that are just simply not dignified. They're not meaningful. They're not useful. They're not helpful. Is it true? Is it honorable? Then Paul says, is it just? Is it righteous? Does it line up with God's standard of right and wrong? That's literally what this means. Does it line up with God's standard of what is right and wrong? Is it pure? Now the word pure here literally means unmixed. It means uncontaminated. As Christ followers, we are called to be holy. And that's what the word holy means too. The word holy actually means separate from sin. It means we're supposed to be here as Christ followers and all the things that are unpure, all the things that are unclean should be over here and there should be distance between us and those things. And Paul says, when we think about things, when we run everything that comes into our minds through this grid, one of the filters needs to be, is it pure? Does it keep us separate from the things that are unclean? Or does it draw us toward the things that are unclean? Now this word is used particular, particularly in respect to sexual purity. And this is a huge problem in our world today. If you don't know that, if you don't know that impurity is a huge problem in our world today, then you need to open your eyes and look around. Especially if you have children or grandchildren. Not only for yourself, of course, but for them as well. And Paul says, if, if we're going to live to the standard that God calls us to as citizens of heaven, we need to make sure that what is going into our minds is pure. He goes on, is it lovely? That's an interesting word. It, it literally means worth the effort to embrace. Is this what I'm thinking about, is it worthy of my affection? Is it worthy of my admiration? That's really what Paul is saying. He goes on, is it commendable? This word is often used in regard to people. Is it reputable? Is it well spoken of? Is it excellent? The word excellent here means literally moral goodness and virtue. Is what you are thinking about 
ethical? Is there any integrity? And then finally, Paul says, is it worthy of praise? Is it something that we can commend? And here's something else I found out about this little phrase, worthy of praise. Is it something that I can acknowledge? Let me tell you what I think that means. Let me tell you why I think Paul ends there. Is it worthy of praise? Because the hard part about this list, the hard part about this grid, is that some of the things in this world, some of the things in our minds, some of the things that we would find ourselves thinking about, there is some room here that we could say, well, there's a little gray area here. Maybe this is okay to think about. Maybe this isn't okay to think about. And maybe it depends on who it is. It's really difficult, isn't it? To know for sure just where those lines are sometimes. But Paul ends by saying, is it worthy of praise? Is it something I can acknowledge? This is what Paul means. If we were to somehow take everything that's in your brain, that's in your mind, that you are thinking about, and we were to take it and we were to put it right here on this stand so that all of us could see right here in that theater, in that theater, anybody that's watching at home, we put what was in your mind right here so we could all see it. Could you acknowledge that it was your pile? Or not? We are so good at rationalization that we can say, hey, I know I can't go here and I know I can't go there, but I can go here. It's okay. All right, is it? Could you flop it out on the table for everybody else to see it? Would you put your name on it? It's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering to think about. That's what Paul's saying. Are you willing to acknowledge it? What does Paul command us? He commands us to think on these kinds of things. What do you spend your time watching? What do you spend your time reading? What do you spend your time thinking about? And can those things survive this filter that Paul gives us? They must if we're citizens of heaven. If the things that you are thinking about cannot survive this filter, then they should have no place in our minds or in our thoughts. I don't know if you thought of this while we were looking at this list of things, but these characteristics reflect the perfections of God. God is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. 
And if we're to become like Christ, then our thought patterns must reflect his character. Logizomai, think, reason, make a decision on these things. Every day as your mind processes these things, we have to be running them through this filter and either saying, yes, I can set my mind on this, or no, I can't. That has no place in my mind as a Christ follower. That's what we need to know, verse 8. Now, what we need to do, Verse 9, let me read it for you again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. These are not just abstract principles. They're not just things that we should be pondering or reflecting on. This that we do on Sunday mornings, this is not a think tank. This is not a place where people go to talk about high and heady things and then we go out into our lives and just live. These are things that need to be done. That's why Paul gives us the grid in verse 8 and says, think about these things. And now in verse 9, he says, Practice these things. You think we can do two Greek words today? Logizomai. You got that one locked in, right? Here's the next one. Prasso. That's an easy one. Prasso. Practice these things, Paul says. Prasso means to do, to accomplish, to activate. The implication is something that we, we do as a habit or as a regular practice. And so what Paul is saying is this. Now that you know it, you need to do it continually. Notice what Paul says. He says four, four things here. He says you've learned it. The word learn means to receive instruction. It means to be taught. It's where we get our word disciple. By the way, if you're paying attention, I, it's hard to see. I don't know if anybody's sleeping in here. There's usually one or two people nodding off. I can't really tell. But if you're listening, that's what's happening right now. The things that you have learned, you've been taught, you've been instructed. If you come here on a regular basis, then this has happened. You've received this instruction. You've been taught it. You've learned it, Paul says. You've received it. That literally means to take a hold of or to accept. It indicates that you've made a personal decision with it. You've been taught and you've decided you're going to do something with it. You believe it. Okay. Paul says, you've heard it. Literally here it means to hear about something. In other words, you've heard of those who have lived this way. Perhaps you're at the point in your walk with Christ or your spiritual life where you say, hey Mike, I'm, I'm not really doing those things. I'm, I'm not living this way. But I've heard of those who have. I have someone in my family or somebody that I work with or, or somebody who invited me to come to church here today. And I've heard that they've lived that way. I've heard that 
when we submit our lives to God, that he cares for us and that he strengthens us. It's real. I know it's happening. You've learned it. You've received it. You've heard it, Paul says. You've seen it. Paul is challenging the Philippians that they were first-hand witnesses of the effect of the gospel. They had seen it. They had seen in their own lives, in their own families, in their own church, that these things that they had been taught, that they had received and made a decision about, and they'd heard about, they've actually seen it happen. And now Paul says, do it. Do it. This is essential, and this is where we often fail. Let me say this. The only way holy living results in our lives is when right thinking translates into right action. The only way that holy living results in our lives is when right thinking is translated into right action. Coming here does not necessarily mean that you're going to live your life the right way. Going to a small group does not necessarily mean you're going to live your life the right way. Reading your Bible doesn't necessarily mean you're going to live your life the right way. That's how you learn. That's how you receive it. You might even hear about it happening in other people's lives or you might witness it firsthand, but until you do it, Nothing's going to change. Lagizomai must lead to prasso. Ponder must lead to practice. Think must lead to do. And when that happens, Paul says, the God of peace will be with you. Do not expect the peace of God and the God of peace if you are not practicing what you know to be true. Citizen of heaven, guard your mind. Guard your mind. That's Paul's challenge to us. You remember a few weeks ago, for those of you that were here, Tim was talking to us about chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And those verses are very interesting because there, Paul challenges the Philippians, and he challenged us, and he said, he said, you got to work out your salvation. you got to work it out. You have a responsibility. You have to put effort in. Work out your salvation. Don't work for your salvation, but work it out. Figure it out. Live it. And then the very next verse says that we are to do that because God works in us. What I love about that passage is we see that God is the one who does the work of making us the people that he wants us to be. But we have a responsibility there. There is something that we are to do to work out our salvation. God's part and God's work, but we see our part. And we see it again here because last week in Philippians 4, 7, we learned that if we are rejoicing, if we are gracious, and if we are praying and pouring our thoughts 
and our hearts out before God, that he will guard our minds. Do you remember that? It says, God will guard your mind. He will protect your mind. And yet here, we learn that we are to guard our minds. We have a responsibility here. Your life is a product of your thoughts. You can't watch and read and listen to a mountain of garbage, the lies of this world, the lies of Satan and his filth and trivial ridiculousness, and expect your mind and your spiritual life to be healthy. You can't do it. It would be like eating pizza and ice cream three times a day, seven days a week, and wonder why you're not ripped. Okay? It's the same thing. That's your physical body. I'm talking about your spiritual body, your spiritual life. You can't do it. You can't take in all the garbage, all the crap, and expect to be healthy. And yet many of us do. And we wonder, why do I keep doing the same things? Let me ask you this as we close. Are you a spiritual thinker or a spiritual consumer? A spiritual thinker processes the truth that they hear, whether it's here in this place or as you open your, the Word of God for yourself. A spiritual thinker processes that truth do you process the truth that you hear? Do you bring it to bear in your own life? Do you take it and you hold your life up next to it and apply it to your life and practice? Or are you a spiritual consumer? A spiritual consumer just attends church in order that their emotional needs may be met. Often I hear people say, I just love to come to church. I feel so good after I leave. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to feel good when you leave. I want you to be encouraged. If you're struggling, I want you to be comforted. If you're grieving, I want you to know that God cares for you and your family. I want you to be encouraged. But do not treat this time together as a confessional to wipe the slate clean so that you can go out and live however you want to live. That's not what we're doing here. We're taking the truth of God's word and applying it to our lives so that we can get rid of the things that don't line up and become the people that God is calling us to be. Think on these things. Practice these things. Prasso, prasso, prasso. Do it. God expects more of you because you're a citizen of heaven. Who do you praise? Who do you glorify? How do you think? That's our challenge. How carefully do you guard your mind? Because God offers his rest, his peace, his gift of wholeness to those who walk in his ways.
You won't know the peace of God till you truly know the God of peace. If your mind's not centered on him, you won't find the rest that your heart and mind needs. It will elude you. We need to guard our hearts, friends. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the fact that we can hear and learn and process and make a decision on what is true and what is right. And Father, this morning I pray that we will have ingested this truth and now I ask for the strength that we need, the courage that we need as individuals and as a church to practice what we know. Help us to do it. Help us to run everything in our lives through this grid, this filter that you have given us so that our minds might be shaped in a way that our lives would honor you. Thank you for these moments when we can pause apart from life and worship and learn and grow together, encourage each other. And I pray that we'll move out from this place into this community that you have placed us in. I pray that we would reach out to those around us, show your grace and your love that others might know the truth of the gospel and the difference that you make in our lives. Thank you, Father, you have been so generous to us. We thank you for all you have done. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being here, folks. I hope you have a great week.